Welcome to the Black Female Leader Podcast, guiding you to success in your life and biz. I'm your host, Marcia Felitas, the creator of MarciaFelitas.com. So today on the podcast, we have Lutsi Bisagu, who's a social justice practitioner, social worker, and writer. She's a first-generation Haitian-American who is always thinking about how her Blackness intersects with her hyphenated American status, her queerness, and femininity. Those thoughts prompted her to coin the phrase, my intersections have intersections. Lucy's the product of the only historical Black college in Miami, which is Florida Memorial University, where she earned a degree in English literature. She also holds a master's in social work, but Lucy is not your average social worker. The social work that Lucy practices is one that's rooted in Black feminist thought, race conscious, and uh, queer framework. Lucy's got a particular expertise in working with youth and more specifically queer youth. As a social worker, Lucy has worked with survivors of domestic violence, queer homeless youth, and currently does anti-racist and anti-bias training with youth and adults. Her motto as a social worker is, vulnerable populations deserve to have the best advocates. Poor folks need lobbyists too. Now where I found out about Lucy was through her well-known online persona, her Twitter handle, Feminist Griot, where she commands an audience of over 15,000 that she grew organically through her writing on pop culture, race, and feminism on her blog, thefeministgriot.com. Lutzi's also written for The Salon and other online publications. And the reason I have Lutzi on the line is she posted on Facebook about a concept that she's been doing in her more recent trainings, a concept of internal abolition. And I just love this. I I was really intrigued by that phrase and excited to to hear how she feels as a social worker and social justice practitioner, how uh, Black women uh, need to think about internal abolition. So thanks so much for being on the line, Lucy. Thank you, Marcia. Yeah, you're very welcome. So So let's dive right in. Tell me about this concept of internal abolition. What does that even mean for you? So um, I was watching Bell Hooks and Darnell Moore and Marcia Blackman. Um, So you know how Bell Hooks has those those talks every so often at the new school. Mm -hmm. And she was the title of this particular talk was uh, uh, was titled entitled moving from pain to power. And Mm -hmm. just talking about how, you know, as the title states. Now, as Darnell Moore was talking, who happens to be um, gay black man and also one of the editors of Feminist Wire, he started talking about internal abolition. And mm. like you, I was just like dumbstruck. I was like, oh my gosh, right? Like, mm. that's that thing. Like, instinctively, like everything in my body was like, one just latched onto that phrase. And since then, I think I've watched that video at least four or five times, and it's at least an hour or so long, just making sure like it got into my bones. So internal abolition, um, I get what I got from it is just what's my role? First of all, first of all, what what do I need to be free of and get free from? Who am Mm. I indebted to and why? And so thinking about well, if I'm talking about I want a, f- a free society and all those kind of things, you know, healthy people create healthy communities. Free people, free individuals essentially have will create free societies. So how do I do the work of unpacking what's keeping me free? And so 
I'm obsessed with the ancestral mentor, Harriet Tubman. Mm -hmm. And so I'm always going back to how before she could free any other slaves, she herself had to free herself first. She -hmm. had to go through the Underground Railroad and see if it worked and then went back for other folks. And so when I think of internal abolition as a black woman, that's what I'm thinking about. Like, how am I going to free myself first? And what's the work that needs to be done before I can even talk to anybody else about freedom? Mm. So what does that even mean for us in a modern context? I think, you know, when you're thinking about Harriet Tubman, it just feels very clear. You know, uh, when we talk about freedom, we're talking about not being a slave Um, in this legal, you know, in the legal framework of what slave means. But for us in 2015, 2016, what is what does that even mean? Like getting free from this family dysfunction or relationship dysfunction, getting free from debt. Obviously, as a woman, it's imperative that I think about, well, you know, get my money right, because I don't know if I'll get married. And I'll, and even if I do get married, I, I don't know to whom and to what and what kind of debt they're going to be. And so thinking about from a modern context, you know, um, what's the, what's my health my my mental emotional spiritual and that right down to the practical stuff in regards to you know how am i going to get myself free from an oppressive system so if if society is going to continue to 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 kill black bodies um if you know god only knows how the the elections are going to end up but what's the work that i'm going to do how am I going to shift my gaze and decenter what's going on in the mainstream and center it back on me and like think about um, what's my sacred yes? Like, what am I going to say yes to? How am I going to center my wants, my needs, my pleasures, big, small, frivolous, and deep? That's what I'm thinking about in a, mm-hmm. in a modern context. Mm-hmm. And you know, the, this, this, um, that, that centering of the things that make you healthy, the things that make you whole. Um, I think can sound as though it's a little selfish to, to most people. So what is it that makes this not a selfish act? <laughs> it's 150% selfish. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. And I, and you know what, I'm, no, I'm not going to shy away from that because I sure. think as women, especially black women, when we think about the historical context of we were taking care of everybody else's babies, but our babies got sold we, you know, were um, in the trenches being victimized and brutalized by um, slavery, just like the black men were and all those kind of things. We're like so good at stepping up for other folks. Like we're so good at being in solidarity with other people. But mm-hmm. what about being in solidarity with ourselves? Mm-hmm. What about like, um, yes, I have to center myself because honestly, I can't be a good daughter, a good sister, a good lover, a good worker, a good anything if I don't feel my well, if I don't take care of myself. And I think in the 21st century, we tend to overuse the term narcissism. That's become very like it's, it's no longer clinicians are not the only people who use that word. But right. um, so it since anything you do tends to be like, oh, you're so selfish or whatever. But I mean, what's what's wrong with being me centered? If I take care of me, that means I, the, um, I'm not looking for other people and other things and other institutions to be to take care of me. So, again, healthy people create healthy communities. So if I'm taking care of me, I'm doing me, I'm responsible for my love, my pleasures, my wants and all those other things. Doesn't it kind of take the slack off of other members of my community to be my end all be all? I think so. 
Right, right. I think there's this, um, there's a difference between being selfish and being self-centered. Yeah. That is the way I think of it, right? So uh, most people um, confuse being self-centered with being selfish. And in my mind, I think selfish has more of the negative connotation of like, I am focusing on myself to the detriment of other people. Um, Or at least I'm not taking responsibility for the ways that I need to show up in my community. Whereas self-centered for me is a little different. Self-centered is more of the the positive way of looking at it. That's, that's essentially what you're describing. The idea that I need to take care of myself so that I'm not putting that burden onto my community. I mean, whatever term we want to use, but it's fine with me. But I also think there's also power in saying, you know, we've been socialized as women to be completely selfless to the detriment of ourselves. But Mm -hmm. yeah, I don't hear too much I don't hear too much like, oh, no, don't do that, girl. Don't give your don't give yourself away too much. You know, I don't mm-hmm. hear that. Too, I don't hear that too much. As someone who is a chronic over lover and all those kind of things, I think it kind of behooves me selfish or self-centered to kind of like pull back and set some boundaries and really be about the business. Again, internal abolition, the love, whatever it is that I'm seeking, how can I give it to myself first? Before mm. I before I go out and make it compulsory for others to do it for me, and then I get mad when I come up short. You're right, right. So, so, how are some of the ways that you're doing that? That you're reminding yourself of that, of of this this boundary. Oh wow! Like <laughs> that's a good question because I recently had been severely trampled on mm. <laughs> in um in the last relationship I was in. But um, I I what I'm doing now is really like is really as basic as really thinking about, okay, Luti, what do you generally want? What do you genuinely need? And, um, and instead of putting the onus on someone else, how can you reclaim your power and do it for yourself? Again, going back to Harriet. Harriet at a time was conceptualizing freedom when she didn't even have a blueprint for it. Like who else around her who looked like her was free. No damn body. But Mm -hmm. she was just like, she, but innately in her soul, she just realized, you know what? There's something better than this. And I'm going to strive for that. So I guess for me, what I'm doing is like following that, going down within myself and following that feeling of, you know what? This could be better. And and finding out what exactly that is. Because I guess I'm, I'm grateful for the fact that because so many things are happening in my life that I don't want, it's helping me to get clear about what it is I do want. So more, more so, uh, of course, I really think therapy. I'm going to therapy. That's really helpful. I'm doing yoga. I'm writing more, um, journaling, and pretty much practicing and relearning listening to my intuition. Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing about, you know, when something is said in a meeting or something is said even in a, in a personal meeting or a professional meeting and it didn't land right with you and just really following and honoring and say, okay, here, something's coming up. Where in my body is it coming up and how can I honor what I'm needing at this present moment? Because obviously I'm needing to do something mm-hmm. and I need to find out what that something is. And so that way I'm like taking care of myself and making sure that I'm, I'm creating avenues around my whole self and I'm showing up and I'm, you know, like I'm being my, my whole self. And that way I don't have to be so bottled up and so ready to implode when um, further on down the line. I right. hope that makes sense. It does. It does. It sounds like you're constantly being um, 
you're just taking care of you really um and making sure that um that your needs are set before it's it's kind of that same thing that happens in that they tell you about to do in in, in flights right like to put the oxygen mask on yourself Absolutely. before you start putting it on anybody else and we i think sometimes as women of, women of color we've been trained you you know put the oxygen mask on everybody else first before you even start to look for where your oxygen mask is um so what i'm hearing you ask us to do is is to really switch that switch that around and make sure that we're taking care of ourselves before we start thinking about how we can reach out to our communities absolutely the same way we're attentive to our lovers our children the members of our community why not like why not give ourselves that same love and compassion and attentiveness like because Mm -hmm. i I feel like our bodies are constantly telling us what we need there's always something in our environment telling us "Uh uh-uh girl but for whatever reason we turn that off and we don't we don't do it and so again if i don't put on my oxygen mask so what if I save everybody and I choke to death? Everybody else is cool and okay, but I'm dead. Right, like, right. Like, what, like we don't, we don't have to. Yeah, like we don't have to set ourselves on fire to light our own way. Like it's mm. okay to be super protective. It's okay. It's okay to put ourselves first. It's okay to center ourselves, and it's okay to say no. And that's another thing I'm learning to do. Like you know, no, mm-hmm. I'm good. Like mm-hmm. no, I'm not gonna do that. And um. And and not having to justify it, I'm not. I don't need to go into the whole litany as to why. But you know, no, I'm not gonna do this, or I decline that offer or that RSVP or whatever. Yeah. Well, as a social worker, how do you feel like this shows up for you in the professional realm? Because um, I I I love the fact that you're talking about internal abolition because I think so many social workers burn themselves out doing the work and serving our community. And what you're talking about here is, I think, crucial to being able to sustain yourself as a social worker. So how does this show up for you in the professional world? How do you keep yourself free professionally? Oh, still working on that. But Mm -hmm. um, because I do I do a lot of I do diversity and inclusion work with mainly young people and with um, adults. So I'm constantly having to unpack. I'm constantly having to scrutinize my language, my behaviors and everything. And so though how it's showing up for me is pretty much being vulnerable. And like there's a tenant in um, social work that says meet people where they are. Um, mm. Not only am I meeting people where they are, I'm meeting myself where I am, you know, mm, yeah. and, like, and like making space for that. And, um, and being, you know, and being super, super vulnerable sometimes when it's like, you know, this is hard. This is tough. Like sometimes stuff comes up when I'm working with folks and I'm just like, I have to pause. I either have to pause internally or physically. Like I will tell folks we need to pause because something's coming up because again, I'm a, I facilitate a lot of groups and I facilitate people having hard conversations. So it's, it's important for me to be as present as possible with not only everybody else's feelings, the group dynamics, but also my internal stuff. And so once again, the, the you know, the bleeding hearts, the social justice warriors, a term I don't particularly like, but those kind of things, those are the kind of people who are attracted to social work. And those are also the kind of people who are ripe to ignore themselves and put the movement first, put their clients first, put the nonprofit first and all that other stuff. And again, this whole, we, we, we think that, you know, things are going to fall apart if we're not present and, and doing everything when that's not the case. The, the organization was there before you. 
um, is going to be mm-hmm. after you, right? Mm-hmm. And so in terms of really making space and and understanding like, where do I derive my value? Do I derive my value from being needed? And if so, that's a problem. That's mm. a problem. That's a problem because I got to be able to say, you know, it's the weekend. I'm not going to worry about certain things. Or, you know, I have to respect the fact that my clients have agency and they're going to do what they're going to do, no matter how good I thought my my presentation, my facilitation, my facilitation and stories were. I have to I have to understand. I also have to I've also really come to the fact where I've come to the realization that all I do is plant seeds. It's up to other people to cultivate it, be the rain and the mm-hmm. and the sun. The thing with social workers sometimes, we want to be the water, the, the dirt, the, the the sun, the everything that's controlling. Yeah. It's that's also it, it sounds like it's a it's a little codependent too, right? It's, Absolutely it's like, codependent. Yeah, Absolutely. like not letting other people do their work and not letting them kind of be empowered in their own way to to take agency and to take responsibility for their own lives there are ways in which um i can imagine a lot of social workers want to step in and say no i'm responsible for all these decisions that my my client is making and that that's not really empowering or healthy for their client and that is and that's a setup for like for so many boundaries to be crossed your own personal boundaries and also violating the boundaries of the people you're working with and for, right? Mm-hmm. And so you're like co-creating this thing. This is not um, this is not you legislating how you want folks to live and be because we can't talk about white supremacy and all this kind of stuff and be black and brown folks using white supremacist apparatus when we're working with other black and brown folks. We can't do Ooh. that. Ooh. We can't all right. do that. You have to say more about this. So how does that, <laughs> how does... Um... So you're a black or brown social worker. How do white supremacist methods come up in your social work? How have you seen that show up? Um, a lot of judgment, a lot of mm-hmm. judging how folks do things, why they do things, a lot of um, a lot of trying to mock, trying and it and it's, and it's obviously it's, it's important for us to model good behavior and those kind of things with our clients. Because especially, especially as someone who works with youth, you know, kids tend to have very tragic endings with adults, right? Or mm-hmm. their goodbyes are, or they never really get to say goodbye. Like they're just violently uprooted from from communities and from their places of home. And so, obviously, I want to model good behavior that you know things things can come to a happy ending and all that other stuff. But white supremacist apparatus is pretty much just. So, I mean, there's the white savior, but if we're, if we want to be real about it, sometimes some of us want to be that savior too. We want to be that, but we think it's better because we look like the people. No, not really. And then we don't check our class stuff, right? We don't. Mm. So it's a lot of that, you know, white, like, again, when that whole, you got to meet people where they're at, that's like for, that means you have to come down off of whatever, nice car you drove in your nice clothes or whatever you gotta humble yourself and meet them where they are they don't necessarily have to meet you where where you were at because in a lot of ways a lot of our clients are um at least in the traditional social work i used to do they're court mandated or they're you know they're on the streets or something and so they're kind of forced to work with you right as opposed Mm -hmm. to me with my middle income um, lifestyle, I choose to go to a therapist and I did my research on what kind of therapist I wanted to go to. And I, I wanted a woman. I wanted it. 
I folks who want a social they don't have that kind of luxury they it's mm-hmm. like you get who you get and so we have to be mindful of that and even in situations like that that our clients have agency and they're gonna be who they're gonna be and they don't have to adopt our code of ethics and all that good stuff and also reminding ourselves like I'm not better than my than the folks I work with or have worked with. I'm not better than them at mm-hmm. all. Mm-hmm. I've had different opportunities. I've had diff- I've exploited different opportunities in my life in a different way that puts me in a different um, standing. But I don't inherently go into a situation thinking I am the all-knowing black woman. And I am here to save these people and save my community because my community is resilient. They don't call it resilience, resiliency, but they're resilient. And it's my job to show them, hey, you are resilient. And this is how I'm going to show you. You know that thing you've been doing that kept that kept everybody on their feet, kept the lights on, whatever? That's resiliency. Let me show you how you can exploit that more. That's that's how we not use white supremacist apparatus, right? Mm. We, we, we respect folk agency. We treat them like they're people. And we don't mandate what they need to do at, when mm-hmm. they're already being mandated by so many other oppressive systems and forces. Sure. So tell me how these views are, are, are um, received within the, the field of social work. Do you feel... Like there's a shift right now among social workers that they're starting to come at it more from this strengths mindset you're talking about from understanding what their people are bringing to the table. Or do you feel like you are one woman trying to, you know, make a movement in your in your industry? So, I mean, you know, strength based perspective has always existed within the school of social work, which is why in my bio, I, I'm very clear to say I'm not your average social worker, because unfortunately, unfortunately, um, by and large, I don't run into radical thinking social workers like people who who like who want to work themselves out of a job. Right. Mm. I am very clear that I want to work myself out of a job like um, let's let's help folks and communities get to a place where they don't need us middle folks, middlemen, advocates. They can advocate for themselves. They can do it for themselves. And we no longer have to be the gatekeepers. Because if we're real, in a, in a lot of social work that a, the majority of folks practice is gatekeeping. Mm. It's a lot of gatekeeping. It's a lot of keeping the poor at a or the vulnerable at a safe distance away from the middle income, middle class, and rich folk. So that's what, so if we're serious about that. So unfortunately, no, that's, I don't, by and large, I don't meet those kind of social workers. I want to say I know two or two or three or maybe four or five who are mm-hmm. doing radical social work, but by and large, no. And that's the, that's the problem. Like that's internal, again, going back to internal abolition, because a lot of folks in a lot of ways are exercising a lot of their own stuff um, in their clients, Right. And so again, mm. the very there are if the kind of people who are attracted to social work, we could also talk talk about like the kind of pathologies, the kind of stuff that people have not unpacked that also attracts them to social work, right? So I couldn't mm. save this person in my family or whatever. So now I'm gonna try to save everybody else, you know? That right. can start off well, but mm, that can, and that could end uh, end end terribly bad, right? Yeah. And so, no, I, I don't I don't think so, because I don't think a lot of people are willing to name and claim that, you know, we work in systems that are really messed up, really, yeah. really messed up. And nine times out of 10, we end up 
um, conforming to the system um, would before even uh, making a chip or a dent in the systems that we're working in. So mm. no, um, most no most social workers are not on this tip. They're not on this, and I don't blame them um, because how can I say being a gatekeeper can even in social work, even though we're not paid the best, it can be profitable. <laughs> I'm being what a gatekeeper. Is- to say so let's let's kind of delve into this concept of being a gatekeeper because for for people in our in our audience who who may not have heard the terminology so when you're using the word gatekeeper what are you what are you indicating with that meaning we're not doing liberation work we're just Mm -hmm. keeping they're keeping folks in a in a in a herd making sure that you know when when the granters or the funders come like you know the 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 stable is clean and smells good and whatever, but we're not trying, we're not about the business of, of really letting folks, okay, we're going to nurse them back to help. We're going to give them the tools. We're going to, you know, show them how great and resilient they, they already were. And then we're going to add some more resiliency to their toolbox. And then they're going to go, go forth and prosper. That's mm-hmm. not really the kind of social work that's being done with the, what's mm-hmm. being done is we're putting a bandaid on gangrene and we're just stabilizing um, messed up situations and, and messed up systems. So that's what I mean by gatekeepers. Like we're in a lot of ways, some folks are overseers, you know, that's yeah. just, that's just what it is. Call it what it is. And it sounds harsh and it sounds rough, but that's, that's what we're doing in a lot of ways. That's what we're doing. We're not really trying to get folks, individuals and communities free. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of, um, just wanting to, I mean, like you were saying, just kind of put a bandaid on the situation, but there's also a way in which, gosh, when you said overseers, that, that for me was a little bit of a, a triggering word, but I could see where that comes from, right? The idea <laughs> that there are some people who are, um, I think there's, there's some privilege around being a social worker and I'm thinking um, Absolutely. Right now about privilege about for me being in education and, and I see myself as a teacher and an educator and there's that same gatekeeping too where we're kind of looking at even if you came into the field thinking you were going to help people who look like you or help your community there's it's so easy to become that person who says um hey brown boy you get to go to the next stage but you other little brown boy you do not and how do you it's it's very tempting I think and very seductive mm-hmm. to become part of that that process where instead of actually giving everyone the tools that they need to make it and empower themselves at the way they want to be empowered it's so seductive to be the person who's saying you get to pass but you over here you do not get to pass um so how do you so one I just wanted to acknowledge wow like (laughs) I just had a moment like hearing you use that language but I, I totally hear it and um and two so speak to a little bit of of if, if that's the system that you're working in um, and you feel like you're the odd woman out who's, who wants to speak truth to power, how do you, how do you take care of yourself? Like, how do you keep, keep your eye on, on what you think true liberation is while you're working with other people who aren't doing that? Well, because I am so, I've been for a long time and, and this internal abolition phrase came up, just kind of crystallized what I've been feeling because I am so obsessed with leaving this world, being a free black woman, because I am so keenly aware how of the ways in which I am not free. I have, it, it creates 
a level of compassion and empathy that I wouldn't, I don't even dare want to um, be part of a system that that keeps other folks down. And really, that's why, again, it goes back to doing your own work. Because if you know the ways in which you are chained, if you know the way in which you are oppressed, if you have a clear vision about, I may not know what freedom looks like, but I damn sure know what it's going to feel like. And it doesn't feel like this. You're kind of <laughs> like, you're, you mm. have this tunnel vision. And so it makes me extremely sensitive to the plight of other people. And it also keeps me honest. It keeps me honest because if I know I'm trying to work myself out of a job, if I know in 2016, I would like to have a boss that's black and looks like me, then I am very clear about what needs to be done in my life. And so I'm, I'm not, so in essence, I'm not comfortable. I am not comfortable. And I'm not comfortable with, with how my life is going. The money is going. That uncomfortability makes me want to be like, yo, what's what's that blueprint i need to go back and really fashion out because what i'm trying to do no one like no one i know is doing it so again going back to harriet tubman i have to i have to first imagine so mm. again to go back to lots of folks have talked about it prison culture on um twitter talks about it um bell hooks recently talked about it and darnell moore like the biggest thing that oppression does is rob you of your imagination. So what happens mm. if you decenter whiteness, decenter system, decenter everything, and you think about what does it mean to be a happy black woman in the United States? Even with knowing everything that I know that goes on in the United States to people that look like me, what what would even with all of that, what does it mean to be a happy, productive, healthy Lucy? Like I have to imagine that. And so because I'm constantly imagining what a better life is, I'm constantly trying to put myself in a, like, this is what I would do if, or, or trying to create that feeling. Like I know what I can see with my eyes, but forget what my eyes see. Let me go inside and create this joy and this happiness mm -hmm. anyways. That is the kind of thing that's just like, it keeps me honest. Like it keeps me super honest. And then I know when I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm about that liberation or I'm playing games. Yeah, yeah. Well, but th there is such a, um, there's such a tension between wanting to point out the ways in which our society is not there yet and the ways in which we are not free and um, the other parts of us that wants to imagine what true freedom would look like, emotional, right. psychological, spiritual freedom would look like. And um, I think, you know, I noticed this within myself and I've also just, watch my clients go through it and just watch a lot of other black women go through it who are thinking about social justice is sometimes you can get so lost in the darkness of um, the way that our society has been built that you're right. It completely robs you of your ability to envision something new for yourself. Um, and it's so crucial, I think, for us to get to the next step, for us to be able to stop long enough and be able to vision the light, you know, not just look at the dark, but also um, look at light and the way that it touches our lives right now. And how can we allow that to be more a part of our of our daily lives? Yes, because the truth of the matter is there are a lot of injustices, a lot of messed up things going on in the world. And there's also amazingness happening at the same happening at the yes. same time. Yeah. For t Twitter, for all of its problems and everything and, you know, all of this other stuff. I, I I can't even count the amount of people who I follow who when they've been down on their luck, 
their entire online community pitches in five dollars ten dollars twenty dollars and all of a sudden this person gets resources that they needed or Mm -hmm. you know so so it's important that we not become so jaded because I, because again, I want to think that we're we're we we're social justice practitioners, warriors, or whatever. I want to say it's because we're we because of love mm-hmm. and love, love. I mean, love is all about hope. Our love is all about faith. I have great immense faith in humanity. A lot of faith because we are not who we were at the beginning. We are mm-hmm. different. We've evolved in so many kind of ways. Our, do we have a lot more work to do? Absolutely. But at the same time, we have to we have to make space for the fact that as a species, we have evolved. We have we have we have checked ourselves and said, you know, we don't need to do that dumb stuff anymore. We let's just let's leave that alone. So right. <laughs> we're not going to be in caves anymore. Like yeah, actually. right. So right. It's like, I, I don't know. So yeah. So. And even still, we have to be honest with ourselves in our love lives. Okay, why are we acting, why are we treating each other like so raggedy? Like the, like the man ain't here, the system ain't here, but here we are wielding those same kind of punitive systems, doing all this kind of stuff. I just saw Angela Davis speak last week, and of course she was speaking about prison abolition. And she says, we have to fight our knee-jerk reaction to be so punitive, even yes. in our relationships, in our yeah. love relationships. Yeah. We're so punitive with each other. So it's just like, so again, we want to do the work out there. But boom, when it's just me and you in the house, it's just me and you. But yet it feels no different as if I was at at work. It's just me right. and you in the bed. But it feels no different from the bullshit that's outside that we're assailed by. So right. again, we have to unseat our inner oppressor. We have to unseat our inner overseer. We have to get serious about our imagination and say, damn, like, Again, what does it even within the system we're living in? But how can we not invite that foolishness into our love life, into our spaces? Mm-hmm. So what is freedom? What does freedom look like for you? I think when I, I, you know, as I'm hearing you talk about it, freedom for me looks like um, living the kind of life where I can be emotionally as compassionate and compassionate with others as I want to be with myself, that I can be tender with other people and I can be tender with myself that I can remember my own humanity and uh, interact with others as though they are human beings and not just tropes, right? <laughs> so what does, what does abolition look like for you? What, is, what does freedom look like for you? Well, on a practical sense, it looks like having complete and utter autonomy over my time, right? Mm-hmm. Like I don't go nowhere unless I really want to, right? I don't, like I own the, even how I make money, I control how, how that is when I go when I go and who I'm gonna do work with. Not there yet, but working on it. Um, internal abolition to me looks like it's like it's okay for me to be vulnerable. It's okay to, mm. for me to be an introverted black woman. It's okay for me to get really excited and passionate about things. Like it's okay for me to show my humanity on a on various spectrums. Mm-hmm. Um, internal abolition means I have. Um, looks like having a loving community that keeps me accountable and but that loves me fiercely and radically but yet at the same time um, again keeps me accountable make sure making sure that I'm being a better person um internal abolition in regards it's just really really once and for all 
like really unpacking the cultural, personal, all this level of PTSD and like freeing my body, my physical body from it. Mm. Um, not always operating from a fight or flight or freeze mode, right? Const- mm. Because again, even constantly being in survival mode also robs you of your creativity and imagination, also robs you of the ability to be re- to relax, right? So mm-hmm. internal abolition is like, saying yes to myself more and the things that I like and appreciate more and centering my pleasure. That's to me, internal abolition. Like I'm constantly doing those things. I'm constantly in community with myself and I'm no longer waging war against my body in certain kind of ways. I'm no longer waging war against the very love that I say that I want, but I'm mm-hmm. afraid to accept. Like, mm-hmm. so in all those kind of ways, just being at home in my body and realizing that I live in a loving, harmonious universe that's on my side. Yeah, yeah. Well, how how does it, you're talking about, um, I don't even know how to phrase this question, <laughs> but I think, you know, you know why? I think it's because it's less of a question and more of just a, I want to hear and want to talk more about this idea of not waging war against the love that you say that you want, and and believing that the world is on your side, right? I, I think <laughs> that is such a deep, I think for anyone in general, like let's just, you know, color aside, experience aside, for anyone in general, believing that the world is working in your favor and that the, the universe or God or however you want to say it has good things in store for you is such a deep and difficult spiritual practice especially if you're someone who's been marginalized, right? Because, mm-hmm. You know, I think th- I want to believe that about the universe. And I know that for me, my own spiritual practice includes believing that God has, has greatness in store for me. Um, and I also see the ways in which the world is not that great, you know, and the human beings have made it so that the world does not seem like it has greatness in store for me. So it's such a difficult, but I think really worthwhile spiritual practice to continue to try and see the hope and the good in the, in the midst of the bad. And, and I don't mean by whitewashing badness away, right? right? I don't mean ignoring the ways in which negative, um, ideas are impacting our society. But what I mean is it's a deep spiritual practice to be able to see reality and reality includes both the negative and the positive. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And, and also I don't know anything that's more deeply amazing and awesome uh, more than believing in yourself and giving yourself a chance and saying yes to yourself. So mm-hmm. irrespective of whether you believe in anything or not, I want to hope and pray that we're working towards believe radically believing in ourselves. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and, and if I believe in myself, then I'm on my side. Then if I'm on my side, that means I talk to myself compassionately. That means I give myself a break. That means that I ask for what I need all the time and not think that in sacrifice is, is how I'm going to get what I need. Because that's not the case. Because I, I think we, we, especially women, we do a good job of sacrifice, 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 sacrifice. And then we get mad at the people around us for not feeling our well or doing the things that we want. But at the same time, we never ask for what we want. We never, we, some of us, and I speak for me, let me use my I statements. I have had to learn in a very hard and painful way, like, 
Well, boo, you don't even ask for what you want. You don't ask for what you want at work. You don't ask for what you want in your love life. You don't ask for what you want at all. But yet you get mad when you don't get what you want. Mm, Because mm -hmm. somehow I have convinced, I've allowed the world to convince me that what I want, like, it's selfish to ask or it's not okay to ask. It's not okay to assert myself and whatever. And so that to me, that's my whole, I guess, you know, I haven't read Shonda Rhimes book yet, but that whole, yes. Like when someone really, when someone asks you a question, how about really answering it and not caring about what they're going to think? Well, Um, and when we don't do that work, that's where that um, passive aggressive manipulative stuff comes from, right? Like people talk so much about, oh, women are so passive aggressive and they're so manipulative. And um, I, I, when you see a manipulative person, what they are really is someone who does not know how to say yes to themselves, right? They don't know how to, how to give themselves the things that they need. So instead of actually empowering themselves to do that work on their own, they want to manipulate you into giving it to them. And then they feel bad when you don't show up like that. And I think when we talk about selfishness, you know, versus self-centeredness or whatever, that the, the times that we've seen people be self-centered in a very negative way is when we're actually watching people who they're not really self-centered at all. Like, they may be talking about themselves. They may be asking you to provide the things that they should be providing to themselves. Um, but the reason it looks so negative is because they have not put themselves first. Mm-hmm. Right? Like they didn't put themselves first for themselves. They want yeah. you to put them first. And that's the place where it gets, I think, very thwarted and um, we get out of alignment. And that's when we start to, you know, using your language that we, that's the, that's the internal slavery piece. Yes, um, yes, yes. Is asking other people to solve your problems for you. Absolutely. Or um, if, if not, not only asking other people to solve your problems for you, but ask you, asking other people to create the very environment that you know you need to thrive, right? Mm. And so, you know, as, a marginal, as marginalized folks, even within our systems and even with our bosses, we have, to, we have to be able to say, we have to be able to dig down deep and get our courage and ask for what we need so that we can do our best possible work. Because guess what? If people don't think I'm angry, I'm this, I'm that, anyways, I might as well just ask for what I need so that I can do this job to the best of my ability, right? Mm-hmm. So I could, or I could show up to the best of my ability. So, um, yeah, I just, I see that so, I see so many people do that. And I am the queen of that. Like, my perfectionism and all that other stuff, like, just, yeah, like, it was just, it sounds so simple, but in practicing doing that, it's really freed me up in a lot of ways and also shifted how I see things and people because the worst thing the person can say is no, but if nothing else, at least I have more information on what I need to do to change this situation, right? Right, right, right. And so that's never a negative. That's never a negative. Being armed with more information and clarity is a great thing. Now, which now, okay, you said no. Okay, where can I find? Whom can I find? Who's gonna say yes? Or did I even need to ask you for permission anyways? Or do I need to be telling myself yes? Right, right. I think the do I need to be telling myself yes is 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 a big piece too because there's so many times. I actually was just talking to a client about this. The that we 
get so frustrated because the other person isn't hearing us when what's really the problem is that we aren't hearing ourselves. Uh Right. And so we keep thinking if I tell this to this other person and they validate it, then I'll feel better. And what you're just doing is searching for someone else to validate you instead of actually taking the time to think about, well, what would it look like for me to validate myself? And what are the parts of this process that it's reasonable to ask another person to validate? Right. Like there, it's, it's one thing to say, like, oh, please. Val- like, did I fill out this form correctly? Yes. They should probably validate that for you. They should probably help you out on that. Um, am I a worthwhile human being? Am I a good worker? Like, that's not their that's not their job. And there's nothing that this other person could say that would make you feel more confident and more abil- able to stand in your truth. Sometimes there are some questions that we ask other people to answer for us that we need to be going through on our own. Right, because part of the inter- internal abolition, I also think, is co-signing yourself, period. Mm, yeah. Like, for period. You said it, you meant it, that's it. Like, this is you, and you don't need other folks, and how, no matter how great, how awesome, how powerful, you don't need them um, to co-sign you. So let them catch up to your greatness and your awesome. Let them be like, oh, and then you can inform them. But, you know, I've been awesome. I've been amazing. I've been at these ideas. I've been doing these things. But co-sign yourself. I think the biggest way to give away your power is that validation piece, mm. is seeking external validation when really it's it's you who needs to validate yourself. If It's you who needs to fill your well. It's you who needs to say yes to you or maybe who needs to say no to you. It's you. It's you. It's not the outside forces. It's you. And again, shifting the gaze. Sense, forget other people and what they say. What do you say about you? Mm. Yeah. And sometimes it's scary. That's a hard process to go through because I think <laughs> yes. sometimes you know, what you say about you is not always positive. And, right. you know, we, we um, I, I think especially in this like day and age of self-help and, you know, the secret and people wanting to kind of attract positive things to themselves uh, and prosperity preaching, it's, there's this idea that if I stop long enough to hear what I say about myself, it's all going to be positive. And um, when you first start to do the work, Um, a lot of it will be negative or it's not surprising if some of it's negative because a, you've been inhaling maybe some negative things about women of Mm -hmm. color in your society. So you've, you've inhaled that and now it's become an internalized voice, but B, if you haven't looked at yourself in a while, chances are you, you are already doing some things that don't, that aren't in alignment with your own value system. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you need to just take a very clear um, and it's it's really, really hard to realize I'm not living in alignment with my values. And that's hurt. That hurts. Right. And then if you're practicing compassion with yourself, when you do ask yourself, what do I think about you? And the negative stuff comes up. That's OK. No. Yeah. judgment. Why mm-hmm. is that? Mm-hmm. Just mm-hmm. Literally, that's OK. And why is that? Why do I think this about myself? Why do I, why do I expect other people to read my mind, but I'm terrified to tell people what's actually on my mind? Why is it that I don't ask for what I need explicitly, but then I get mad? That's okay. And and that's okay. And so um, I would hope folks are reading the, the right kind of self-help books that says, you know, you got to scrutinize, you got to unpack, you have to, you have to, you have to do the work. Like you have to go to the root of the problem and the root of the problem whatever's going on outside in our lives is usually asking you to go inward. So go inward 
and and go to the root and and you know start pruning start digging and like nice. what's up what's up with yeah. me what's what's going on <clears throat> so do you have any resources you recommend for for women who want to start doing this work around internal abolition oh my god do i have any i don't you know I don't, I, I feel like I'm just out here so haphazardly, like, <laughs> doing this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. But, um, I don't know, um, I would say really journal a lot, and really, and, and I, I know I'm not doing well when I don't journal. Why is that? Because by day four or five of saying the same thing every morning, I have realized, okay, girl, you got a problem. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so I'm trying to do the morning pages and paying attention to what sh- what's the theme every time. What's that one thing you're complaining about all the time? Or and again, asking myself, like really asking myself, well, what do I want? Like I talked about boundaries earlier. Like I I am at the place where it's really I have to get really elementary. Like what are my boundaries? Because mm. I don't know, because I never really explicitly stated them, which is why they explicitly got trampled on. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now I'm getting like real elementary. Well, what are your non-negotiables? What will you not accept? What will you accept? What do you actually really want? What do you actually really need? And what does what does a happy you look like? really look like how does it look what does it feel where does she live what does she eat who she hang with everything like what does a happy healthy version of yourself look like Mm -hmm. and so I guess what I would recommend is you know if folks are into western practices get you with their get you a good therapist and um if you can't find a black one get you a white one that's serious about naming systems of oppression my my therapist is not black but she already know what time it is and so i love her um, <laughs> um y- yoga has been helpful um uh reading self-help um you know i i love me some brene brown yeah. um you know, Oprah gets, you know, Oprah can be Oprah, you know, she'd be doing her thing every now and then getting on our nerves, but um, her, super, her, super <laughs> yeah. her Super Souls TV, her, um, her, her Sunday mornings are really awesome and amazing. Reading memoirs by folks who have overcome, made, like, um, redefining realness. Reading redefining realness was just like, wow. Like, wow. Talk about naming and claiming yourself before there you even had a vision of what that self would look like right mm-hmm. um so those kind of things and just really just i i guess in, in in essence going inwards and paying attention to your body like where is the hurt where is the rejection and and why are you if you're always so angry and tired and all those kind of things really paying attention to your body because i think the body is the number one indicator it will tell you when you are in alignment and when you are out of alignment it will tell you when this situation is good and safe and if you're one of those people who does have ptsd like me if you're always in flight or flight mode or freeze mode in a particular situation or a work situation or a love situation I think that's pretty clear and you should listen to that. You should listen to that and you should do something about that. And so, you know, I say read, I say do therapy, I say do yoga, I say do somatics. If you can find you a somatic person to help release the crap from your body. And honestly, if nothing else, just talking to yourself how you would talk to a 
a loved one who was hurt or a child who was hurt. Yeah. Like really starting as basic as, okay, all right. And literally to the point of changing the tone of your voice of how you, how you, how you talk to yourself, because what's that inner voice like? What's the, what's the tone of your inner voice? What, what's the language of your inner voice and trying to soften soft. Cause we need that inner voice, but do, do we need a mean girl in there? No, we don't. Do we need yeah. an overbearing parent in there? No, we don't. Do we need a, a com- super controlling inner voice? No, we don't. So soften the tone of the inner voice and, and, and see how the, that compassion can start because I just find it hard to believe that um, we can give what we don't, we could give to others what we don't give ourselves. Cause at some point we're front, we're fronting. Yeah. Yes, 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 yes. And, you know, I think for those, um, for people who are in professions like yours, right, like social workers and people in education, anyone who's doing pretty much direct services with the population that they want to help, um, this type of work I don't think is optional, right? Like this, no. is, this is professional development work. Absolutely. Too. If you... If you are a social worker or you work in a mental health field and you have shade around um, um, you yourself going to therapy, you are not real. And I, I and I urge you like you are you are dangerous. You are mm. dangerous to to the people that you work with. If you yourself are not serious about because, again, if it's OK for you to give your clients case plans and hold them accountable, but they know you're not holding yourself accountable on the kind of human being you want to be. Nah, you're you're part. You're again another way how you become part of the problem and not the solution. So it is mm-hmm. imperative. It's not enough for us to just go to these professional developments to keep our licenses and learn this. It is also important that we do the work and we really get in there. Um, and unpack our stuff because that is where you learn to be empathetic because when you start looking at yourself and you see how raggedy you are and the places <laughs> where you're ridiculous, mm-hmm. it's really hard not to be empathetic when you're when you're looking when you're looking at someone else's raggedy, right? Mm-hmm. It's, it's, mm-hmm. it's hard. How can you not be compassionate because you're doing the work? And so it's absolutely I love that. It is professional development. So I um, love this so much, this, this kind of calling us all to the, to the table, those of us who are in those professions. Um, and thanks for just being like an inspiring voice um, who's doing this radical work uh, in a system that may not be completely on board with that. Um, so where can, where can people find you again, Lutzi, if they want to <laughs> you know, follow your work or, and follow, follow your, your, your teachings? <laughs> My Hilarious. Um, you can find me on Twitter at the at feminist griot. Um, I'm writing again slowly but surely, so you can find me at thefeministgriot.com. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, you can find me on Twitter. You can find me on IG if you like pictures and I share, you know, little parts of my life is there. Wonderful. And again, we're we're gonna have links to um all of those resources in the show notes to your Twitter and um and uh, website, so folks can follow you just by clicking on the show notes. Thank you so much, Marsha. Thanks for listening to the Black Female Leaders Podcast. Be sure to support us by rating and reviewing us on iTunes. You can find links to all the resources mentioned in this podcast by taking a look at the episode description. 